Hi, this is Dr. Adolph uh, Lombardi. I'm president of Joint Implant Surgeons in New Albany, Ohio. You are listening to Interview with the Surgeon with the Surgeon Agent. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining Interview with the Surgeon. Today, we welcome Dr. Adolph Lombardi, president of JIS Orthopedics in New Albany, Ohio. Doc, how are we doing today? Uh, couldn't be better. Living the dream. Everything's great. I hear you on that. So thank you for being with us today. You know, starting out, what were your goals and aspirations during your residency and how did those changed throughout your fellowships? Yeah, well, I, I was uh, quite fortunate to get my residency, um, kind of uh, finished uh, medical school. I had applied for orthopedic residencies and I really didn't hit one. Um, I had been sort of waitlisted at a few. And uh, one day I was sitting in the uh, locker room at Temple University Hospital and uh, those of you who know who uh, the Lockman test is, Dr. Lockman tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, the guys over at uh, Albert Einstein need a resident. And so I go and I interview and uh, I was fortunate enough to get that position. So I went to a small residency program. We were two uh, residents a year uh, at Albert Einstein Medical Center. This is the one in Philadelphia now. And it was pretty much a self-taught residency. You know, the residents taught each other. Uh, we had our own curriculum, probably not as intense as it is today, I, from what I see, uh, but fairly intense for us. And we were always going to meetings and learning new things. And as a, as a, as a resident, um, I, my scope and my whole livelihood was Philadelphia. And um, I just wanted to land a job in Philadelphia. Uh, I married my bride, uh, I think it was my third year residency, and I met her. She was the x-ray tech on the first uh, hip pinning I did. Uh, and uh, took me a little time to convince her to date me, but then we married and, uh, and she was from Philadelphia. I was from Philadelphia. My parents had come from Italy and settled in Philadelphia, and I knew nothing but Philly. Uh, and so uh, I really got it very, very enamored early in my uh, uh, residency with joint replacement. And you guys have to understand, this is the infancy, pretty much the infancy, because we're talking now, I'm graduating from medical school in 1981. So this is 81 uh, uh, through 85. Um, and, you know, the intermediary guides that we take for granted today were kind of just introduced. Um, we were doing ligament balancing with some spacers and really some, some uh, crude ways of doing knee replacements and hip replacements and patients were in the hospital 10 days plus. So, uh, but the gratitude that the patients had, the pain relief and the fact that it was such a concrete operation. You took the patient, you got rid of their arthritis, you did a joint replacement and they were happy. Um, that's what lured me into wanting to do joint replacement. Now, of course, um, on the horizon as I'm a resident is arthroscopic surgery. Not a lot of the old guys that I was training with could do arthroscopic surgery. So here I am, I want to do joint replacement. They want me to do arthroscopic surgery. Now, because this was a small program, as I said, um, it was basically private practitioners teaching the residents. And there were about four, maybe five private practice groups. And um, I got along with all of them. And so uh, towards the end of my residency, the third, you know, fourth year of my residency, I was focusing in on, you know, who was I going to join? And I was getting innuendos that I would. And I went to Columbus, Ohio, 
1983, and I took a double AOS course, um, and it was joint replacement and uh, mostly joint replacement, but there were a couple other topics. And I met a guy who was chairman, and his name was Tom Mallory, who later became my partner. Um, and I was just impressed with this, this man. I just, wow. I had met a charismatic individual who was just driving the bus. And everything he said, I just, I, I was the resident just listening and all. Um, and so I went to obviously every minute of the course. Um, and then I, and it stuck in my head. And then when I decided I wanted to do joint replacement and I was being advised by my colleagues back home, my, you know, potential future hires, partners, whatever, you know, groups that I was looking at, they all wanted me to do sports. So I decided I would kind of hedge the bet and do uh, a six month fellowship in joint replacement and a six month fellowship in um, uh, sports medicine. Well, you know, uh, like my difficulty getting into uh, orthopedics, I went and I interviewed at uh, the Houston clinic with, uh, you know, the great surgeons down there. Um, I went and I interviewed at a couple other sports places and I interviewed with this Dr. Mallory. Well, you know, when the day I finished the interview, he offered me the spot. So I obviously I took that. It was a six month rotation. So I still had six months to fill. And so I had gone to a few places for six months. And then uh, I got a phone call from my former chief resident. And he was with another guy who you all know is Dr. Jerry Yang. And uh, Dr. Yang at that time was still doing some sports. So uh, my chief resident thought, well, maybe you come here, you'll get a little sports background. You'll still get more of the knee hip background that you really want. And then you can go back to Philadelphia. Well, I started my first uh, fellowship with Tom Mallory. And in December, he asked me to join the practice. And it was one of those things where I just couldn't say no. And so I didn't even ask my wife if you, had, if you ask her, I just said, yes, Dr. Mallory, I'm coming back. And then I went to Virginia and I spent six months there. And Dr. Eng sort of a notion to me that had I not accepted that position, I would have been, you know, welcome there. But uh, my wife said, oh, why did you take that first spot? Because obviously Virginia was a lot closer to Philadelphia, but uh, I've not regretted the day I uh, stepped foot here, here in Columbus. I'm now in New Albany, uh, which is just a suburb. And I've been in this practice since 1987. So I started July of 1987. And I've been in this practice all that time. And I've enjoyed a wonderful practice of total joint replacement. I'm a very busy surgeon, uh, as many of you know. I've done over probably 33, 34,000 total joints. Uh, I continue to work the day I worked when I uh, started here. Uh, continue to do the same kind of volume. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I don't travel as much this year with the COVID, but uh, I've also enjoyed that aspect of my, my career. So kind of taking us through those beginning years of your career, you know, what did you think was going to happen? And then what actually happened as you became a practicing surgeon? Well, I really didn't know, you know, um, I, you know, everybody's journey, I think, is a little different. Um, and I think today um, things are very, very structured. Um, you know, you wouldn't start a practice without a contract. You would understand what year one, year two is going to bring you. You would understand what or if there was a buy-in. Um, and either I was naive or I just was 
you know, complacent enough, that I was happy enough, that I feel, felt the opportunity was so great. But I uh, quite honestly started my practice with Dr. Mallory without a contract. I mean, it was basically a, a handshake that I was going to work for him, with him, receive X stipend. I got a little starting bonus uh, to cover my expenses to move to Columbus. And um, lo and behold, it took me 12 years to become a partner. So it was a different track. Um, you know, uh, not one that I recommend, uh, but I always looked at it that uh, the experience, the opportunity, uh, no one could ever take that away from me. If we um, decided to move in different directions, who could take the experience away from me? I, at that point, was doing, uh, you know, I started my first year with maybe 500 total joints. I mean, I, you know, uh, within three years, I had done thousands. So I was well on my way to being, a, you know, an accomplished surgeon in the field of total joint replacement. And at that point, I got my... Um, my inklings together and my thoughts together on how to, uh, to do a total knee, you know, and I got pulled aside by Dr. Mallory and he said, you know, you learned so much during your rotation with Jerry Yang because Tom was really a hip surgeon and Dr. Yang was the consummate knee surgeon. And uh, there wasn't a day that went by that he wasn't always thinking of something, questioning me. Um, the surgeries were meticulous um, I got the opportunity during that fellowship to use every implant on the market. I got to meet the people that were, you know, at the cutting edge. Um, and so I took all that experience and put it all down on paper. I came back and I did a, a variety of different knee implants and I was able to come up with my own concepts, my own design, and then ultimately my own patent in 1992. Now kind of thinking about that beginning part of your career, were you private practice focused all the way or did you ever consider going academic? Well, Dr. Mallory was a very unique individual. He, he was a private practitioner, but he always believed in research and education. He always said to me, there are three factors. And I still think this is very true. Listen to me. I think that you have to be, you have to give excellence in patient care. And the one adage he always told me, because I was naive. I didn't know. I said, like, I said, Dr. Mallory, where are these gonna, patients going to come from next year? And he said, Adolf, you take good care of your patients and there will be more patients. And what you got to realize, you start at the bottom. Whoever you see, you never say no. You accept everything. You do the best job you can. You take good care of those patients. If it's an infected total joint, guess what? They've got friends and relatives who don't have infected total joints. All of a sudden, you've become the savior. You cured their infected joint. Well, you can do no wrong. And so you build your practice by you know, embracing your patients and excellence in patient care is rule number one. I think rule number two is education. And I mean, it can be simple as education of the family and patient, uh, education of yourself. Mallory always said, read one article a day, learn one new point a day, and that's all you need to do. And so every morning we had journal club and we read one article and that's what we focused on. So you'd be in there doing rounds at, you know, 0500, You'd finish up and you'd sit for 30 minutes and go over some article that he had selected, um, whether it was new or something new to you or whatever. Um, and then I, the other, other thing is, look at what you've done, research what you've done, look at the data. 
So he encouraged me early on to uh, get involved. And I did. I got involved at Ohio State. And, and uh, at, at that time, Ohio State didn't have a designated joint replacement surgeon. So I would go over uh, about once a week and do a, a, a clinic and, a sur and surgeries there uh, for the first few years until they got a surgeon in focused on joint replacement. And then I worked with him for a year or two and then basically turned the reins over to him. So that was probably my only foray into academics. But I realized that what I enjoyed um, was teaching the fellows. I enjoyed the postgraduate, the, the, the resident who had decided joint replacements for me, this is what I want to learn. And so when that person comes to you, they want to hear everything you know. Um, you know, it's difficult personally, uh, you know, and no disrespect to any residents out there, but it is difficult for me personally to have the resident who wants to do foot and ankle on my service because they really didn't want to be involved. And I get it. I, I you know, I get it. Uh, that's why I like teaching fellows. And I really enjoy uh, the academic part of teaching our colleagues that are out there in the real world doing things. And so I have always been committed to doing as many meetings as I get invited to, giving as many lectures as I can. Um, my emails go off all the time, my text messages. Hey, Adolf, what would you do with this? What do you think you about that? And that's the kind of education I like and I enjoy. And one thing I've done further uh, was that I've gotten involved in being a, a board examiner. And I'll tell you, you learn a lot. Um, it takes one year, one week of your life. But at the end of the day, we have to give back and we have to police ourselves. Because if we don't police ourselves, who's going to police us? We may not like those people. So at least you might get examined by Edith Lombardi and say, man, he's tough, which I hear every now and then. Uh, but you know, I, I, I do examine fairly. And I look at when somebody taps me on the shoulder and says, hey, you know, you gave me a board exam. You were tough. I said, well, did you pass? Yeah. Okay. Then I got my point across. And hopefully I made you think for a minute or two. And next time you might think of something different in that particular case or situation. So I, I think it's important to give back at all aspects. And if you're going to be in private practice, which believe me, um, I'm a big proponent of it. Um, I love private practice. Um, you know, I am my own boss. I do make the decisions as to how I'm going to work. I don't have to answer or ask someone. I got a, a call today that uh, there's a cadaver lab that I'm being requested to be involved in to evaluate a particular device. I'm happy to go. I looked at my schedule. It was light that day. And I said, you know what? I'm going to move those cases around. I'll be there for that cadaver lab. I think that's a great thing. And I want to learn about this particular device. So that's the beauty of, of, of the way I work and operate. And no one's counting how many PTO days I have. And no one's telling me that, oh, you know, you've already taken that much time off or you can't go to that other educational meeting. The, you know, the negative is that every time you take a day off, Every time you, you decide you're going to do a research project, it's coming out of the right pocket or the left pocket, but it's coming out of your pocket and no one else's. And, and that's okay. My practice, we have a research department. Um, we pay two or three people there. I think it's extremely important because I can call uh, the research department and say, you know what? I want to look at 
all the women that I did at a 62.5 millimeter femur, I want to see, you know, how they compare to the 65 femoral component. And, and they can get me that data. Um, and I can look at that. You know, I have a question about whatever. We can look at that. We can write a paper. And I've enjoyed that part of my practice that um, I can not only give you the fact that I've been working a lot, I can give you some data about what I've done and how I've done it, percentages, if nothing else, of how many of this, that, or the other thing, and, and, and how people have done. Now, throughout your historic journey, you know, what would you say were some of the keys of your success that shaped your early career as you climbed to the top of the industry? Well, I, I think um, that, and it's probably an old adage, but I think if you're passionate, I think the, the key to success is passion and drive. And the other key is to really be in a profession a job, if you want to call it that. I don't call myself. I know. I I tell people I've never worked a day in my life. So people look at me. What do you mean? I love what I do. I'm enthusiastic about it. You know, every case I did to get today was a new and different challenge, and I've done so many of them. But you know, to get that patella to track where I wanted it because it was been riding lateral on the on the lateral epicondyle for the past five years was a challenge. And I accepted it and I did it and I feel good about it. And I love the post-op x-ray and I'm happy. You know, when I go to bed tonight, I put my head on the pillow and I feel good because I can, I can rest that I did the best I can. So if my words of advice is how do you advance? Yeah, I, I think it's harder. I, I, I will say that. Um, it's a, it's a, probably a little more crowded field. Um, and there's probably, a, you know, more competition. Uh, but uh, there are plenty of patients out there. I, my words are there are plenty of patients out there. Never fear your competition. That's the mistake. You, you welcome your competition. There's only one thing you have to do. And that's to be a little better than your competition. At least in your own mind, you know, at least that you say, I did the best I can. And you know what? I, bring it on. You know, I, I'm here to compete. And, and I don't compete with people. I just do my job. And if I do my job and I take good care of patients, and I guess that might sound like a, you know, like hogwash to some people, people come. And I think I will tell you one other thing that um, I believe uh, um, was taught to me by one of my mentors in my residency. And he, he had this statement, um, attention to detail makes a difference between a somebody and a nobody. Now it may sound cocky, may sound rash, but all, the bottom line is just be focused on detail. Never forget the minutia because sometimes that's so important and that will really make a difference. Maybe not between a somebody and a nobody, but between what's good for your patient and what's not and what's ultimately healthy for your practice and what's not. So if you look at everything and you, you pay attention to detail, I mean, a lot of times you walk in a room and you just look at the patient and you just watch how they move. You don't even need to ask them a question. You're just looking at the details and you get the picture. You know, you almost know what's going on. You know, hey, wait a minute. This is maybe somebody I don't want to operate on. You know, sometimes, sometimes you got to do that. Uh, sometimes the better, op better operation is no operation. But I think, um, uh, you know, being focused, being, paying attention, uh, being passionate, making sure you're not, you know, upset about whatever and leave your attitude at home, please. 
Think about it. You set the tone, right? If you walked in because you're pissed about X, Y, Z, and you're sulking or you're upset, how do you think everybody around you is going to be? How do you think your day's going to be? You got to leave that baggage behind. You got to walk in. Hey, guys, how you doing? This is the greatest day. You know, you got to be excited. You are the captain of the ship. Believe me, you can do everything from mop the floor to do the operation. Nobody else in that room can. And I'm not being cocky about it. I'm just saying, you set the pace. And you want to drive the boat? You want to, you want the cases to turn? Go so, don't go sit in the, la, in, the, in the lobby and drink your coffee and wait in the lounge till somebody calls you. Go in there. You know, when my days are not turning over, I grab the mop. I put the trash in the trash bag. You know, they get scared. They're like, oh, my God, Lombardi's got something muck up his butt today. He's like wanting to move, you know? So I, I don't know. I, I, I'm a high energy person and I like being high energy. And I just say to you, you have to infatuate the room to make everybody around you want to work with you. Make a comfortable environment. Don't be a pain in the butt. You know, there's there's other things to take it. Take it somewhere else. Get in there. Try to be patient. But oh, but that doesn't mean you want anybody to walk on you. You want to be demanding, but gracefully demanding, if, if you know what I'm saying. Now, on that mindset, you know, what advice do you have for the graduating chief residents and fellows entering the professional job market for the first time? Well, first thing, you know, as I talk to the fellows I interview, I, you got to decide what it is you want to do, um, you know, and it's a simple question. First, first question is, you know, do you want to be in private practice? Do you want to be in academics? Do you want to have a practice where you know, perhaps it's a little slower, you're doing a little more teaching, you're going to conferences, you know, perhaps you're, you know, that's what makes you tick. You want to do research. Well, then you should uh, select whatever specialty you're going to. And then if you decide to do a fellowship, kind of gear yourself to that university-based fellowship. If on the other hand, you want to do private practice, then you look for people that are in private practice in that area of interest if you're going to do a fellowship and that's who you should go do your fellowship with and see how they work and try to pick their brain every day about, you know, what makes their practice the way it is. Um, and then I think, you know, pick the location you want to live in. All right. I mean, at the end of the day, um, if you're not happy where you're living or your wife or significant other is not happy where you're living, then you're not going to be happy. So, if you like warm weather, find that location. If you like the four seasons, find that location. Uh, I mean, if you need to be near family, find that location. And then I just say you, you know, you, you snoop around, you find the, the opportunities um, and you go in with your, you know, head up high about what it is you can bring to the practice, what perspective you have. And I think you bring your positive enthusiasm. That's what, you know, for me, that's what I want to see. I want to see the energetic individual who's ready to come tackle the situation and that I can call up and say, Hey, Fred, I, I don't have time to do this case. It's a little bit tough. Come take a look at it. And they never say no, you know, they just do it. Or they call me, show me the plan and say, this is what I'm going to do. Any thoughts, Dr. Lombardi? I, I mean, that's, that's what I'm looking for. Now, on the reverse side of that, what are you looking for when you're interviewing fellows for your fellowship positions? 
Yeah, I, I get that question often. I, I'm I'm looking for the team player, right? I basically, unlike some of the other fellowships that exist, if you don't show up next year, my practice is going to keep going. So we are what I call fellow proof. And I want it to be that way. I don't want you ever to feel like you're the scut person on my on my practice that, you know, uh, we're going to have you do the HMPs and, you know, whatever. So what I look for is the person who wants to come focused, has a mission. And I look for the guy who tells me, you know, they do want to do private practice because I really advise the guys who want to do university or teach fellows, teach residents, uh, that, that that's where they should go. They're not going to get that at my, we're not going to do grand rounds. And I look for a self-starter. You know, I, I look for the person who, you know, I've written tons of articles. If you don't show up the first few days and you've read a couple of my articles, yeah, that's not really good, right? You know, so the smart thing to do is wherever you go, you read the guy's literature if, if they've written anything, you know? And, and if you're doing a fellowship, most of the guys have. So you know what their literature is. What are they about? What are they saying? You know, you may not have 100% grasp on it, but you should know. Yeah, oh, yeah, you wrote an article about that, Dr. Lombardi. Um, let me look at it tonight and I'll get back to you on it, you know, or whatever. Uh, but to give, to make up and, and don't make up BS, right? That, that doesn't go anywhere. So I think I would advise don't do that. Say you'll look it up. And today, you know, um, everything's available on that little phone. So it's, it's amazing what you can figure out in the next 15 minutes uh, after I ask you a question. So, um, you know, it was, it's a different era from when I was, you know, with Dr. Mallory, we had to go and print the article, read the article and, and, and find it first, print it and read it. You know, today you can like, boom, just Google it on your phone and you read the abstract in 15 minutes, have the, have the information. But, you know, I, I, I think that's what I would suggest. Now, as we dealt with the pandemic in 2020 and still now in 2021, you know, what is your advice to the graduating class regarding the networking and outreaching process when they haven't had the ability to meet folks like yourself at national conferences? It's tough. Um, it's tough for me. Let me tell you guys, uh, I don't like it. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I, I, sometimes I don't know what to do with myself because I traveled so much. Um, you know, last year I was supposed to go to China, Japan, Australia twice, uh, England. Um, I didn't go anywhere, not even to any places in the U S. So, um, I say, um, you know, it, it while it's hard to meet people, I think once this pandemic's over and meetings become a reality again, I think that's where you need to get back into play and you'll meet people. Um, but at this point, I think you're going to depend on uh, your fellowships, um, your own uh, virtual knowledge building by Zoom conferences, et cetera, and uh, by reading about, uh, you know, reading uh, various authors and, and their techniques uh, to get the answers to what you want to know. Uh, so I, I think that uh, the networking is a little harder, uh, but I, I, I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic we're going to get back there. Um, you know, I'm deputy editor, uh, deputy uh, chairman of the uh, of CCJR, and um, we're planning a go live January. So uh, if nothing else, if that's the first live meeting, I invite you all to come. 
Now, as you know, I work with surgeons all across the country and a lot of the young docs, they always ask me, you know, what advice do they have as far as how can they position themselves properly to potentially get involved in industry deals? And obviously you're very respected in this space. I'm just curious as to what advice would you provide to them if they're asking you that question? Well, um, you know, the, the thing the thing about industry right now is it's it, the companies are taking a little shift from metal and plastic to technology. And all of you out there are at a, at a distinct advantage to me because you're all, you've had all this technology at your fingertips, uh, you know, a lot younger than I ever was. So I would say, you know, if there's something you're technically savvy about um, that's going to make a difference, you know, you, you should work on it, perfect it. Um, and, uh, you know, today's different than when I, I went without even having a patent attorney or any advice or an NDA, but that's not the way it's done anymore. You're going to, you're going to have to develop it, work it and get an NDA and, and take it to the companies. And now the other thing is look out there because there are some, some companies that have, uh, have developed that are, that are a little different than maybe going just with industry. I'm just going to say one, and I'm going to say that I'm conflicted, but there's a company called Parvizi Surgical Innovations, and my good friend Jay Parvizi runs that. I'm invested in it, but, you know, that would be a great avenue for some of the younger uh, orthopedists uh, that have some ideas uh, that, you know, might need a little bit of cash to help perfect it and take it to market, uh, because that's what we look at. And there's another company called Angel MD. Uh, so there's a couple of these companies out there that you could work with possibly uh, to, to get your idea to the next level and then take it. Um, but if you have a hot idea on a, uh, you know, something in, uh, you know, a concrete implant uh, or, or, you know, a, a robotic technique or something, I, I, I think that Today, more than anything, the companies are looking for more established ideas. They're not looking for you just to come and say, I was thinking that you could do this. Um, and then I would also say that if you have ideas about instruments, um, there are a couple companies out there that are you know, looking to always create new instruments. And one that comes to mind is the company called Inamed. Uh, so I would recommend that if you have a, a gadget in mind that you think is going to change the world and, you know, uh, or make a big difference. Um, I would go and talk with them. So I think there are different avenues than, you know, what I had, um, uh, you know, when, when I went to, uh, the industry, um, you know, there were a, maybe a half a dozen knee systems on the market. And if you wanted to do a CR knee, you did it with one company. If you wanted to do a PS knee, you did it with another company. And if you wanted to do a constrained knee, there was yet a third company. And if you wanted to do a hinge, there was a, basically a fourth company. So I was using four different companies to do my, you know, to sort through my uh, armamentarium of, of requirements to do my knee replacements. And that was, that's part of the uh, one small part of what I wanted out of the first knee system I designed was to have a CR to PS to constrained option all within one system. But there were obviously several other things that came to bear in that system. So, um, you know, those opportunities uh, obviously are, are gone, but, you know, 
there's always a way to tweak something. There's always a new material, a new design. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I think you, uh, you know, how do you get in there? Um, well, probably the way you're going to get in there is by getting a good association with your local rep or distributor who then may be able to take you to the next level if they feel, you know, unless you already are, are intelligent enough and good enough that you've got, you know, the a patent application and the NDA done and all that. So, uh, but good luck to all of you. Now, as a powerhouse name in the industry, is there one thing that you can point to and say, you know what, that one invention or that one thing that you did really just kind of created your entire career. You can look back on it and be like, that's my legacy. Well, you know, um, I, I really think um, it, 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 it was a bunch of small things, but, you know, obviously the patent that I got in 1992 on the knee system really, uh, you know, catapulted me to uh, great success with uh, the Biomet team at that time. Um, but it was, but for me, it was a lot of relationship too, you know, I had a great relationship with uh, Dane Miller, who was, who was chairman of the board at that time and founder, CEO of Biomet, uh, just a lot of good engineers that I worked with uh, throughout the years. Um, and, and then just, you know, being there to do what I, what I love to do and making it to the top of my, you know, knee society being president, hip society being president. Um, you know, there, those are some really significant for me, all time accomplishments that I'm very, very proud of. Uh, and I say that because, you know, yesterday we were talking about, uh, with my assistant, something about my parents, my parents had a third grade education and my parents, my father didn't come from Italy to 19, 50 and my mom in 52. So I was born four years later. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm very, very, very happy that I had the opportunity that they gave me to get an education and to do what I've done. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I try every day to give back, uh, through operation walk USA, uh, through the fellowships that I've funded, uh, and various other things. Uh, but I think that's the other part that we haven't talked about, you know, Medicine is a very rewarding profession, as far as I'm concerned. Um, yes, uh, yes, I've done well. You know, let's not. I can't. I can't say that I haven't. But you know, what is more rewarding than I did clinic yesterday, and the patient comes in from 1997 and says, "Doctor Lombardi, these knees are are the bomb. They're just great." I can't tell you how many places I've been and what I've seen and what I've done with these knee replacements. I mean, you know. Uh, what do you say? You know, that is what it's all about. Or when the, you, you know, and this is going to happen to all of you. You're going to walk, you're going to walk down the, 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 in the, in the, in the mall or in the, or, or the, or the food store, grocery store or church or wherever you go. And somebody's going to tap you on the shoulder and say, thanks, you know, doc, I'm doing great. You gave me a new lease on life. And, there's nothing you can say, but thank you. And you walk away just feeling fulfilled. And that's what I love about what I do at the end of the day. So I think the most rewarding thing I've ever, I do in my life is take care of people. We hope you enjoyed this episode of interview with the surgeon until next time, stay focused and keep following your dreams.